Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I told the worship team this morning, I said, I don't know about you guys, but I need to be here today. And I said, the group of people who are coming are the people who really feel like, man, I need to be here today. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. I I raised my hand when Matt said, do you have power? I I don't, um, but the FPNL website says that I do, so I feel good about that. And um, (laughs) I've literally taken a, a piece of plywood and I painted with spray paint, no power for this whole block. And I put it in front of my house because I think it looks awesome. And um, I'm sure the neighbors do too. Though they do appreciate it. Uh, now, with that said, I want to say I think that the FPNL guys, I think that the city, I think that everybody who has been helping us out in these days has done a terrific, amazing, and incredible job. I really do. So I hope that continues for the next. Like I want it when I get home. So just going to say it, okay? <laughs> All right, if you're familiar with how we do personal worship here at Rio, then you know that every Monday morning, really, really, really at Odark 30 early, we send you through our phone app the passage of Scripture that we're then going to look at in the next Sunday. So you can work it through in advance. That's the idea. And if you were with us two weeks ago and following along, well, then you know that two weeks ago, prior to Hurricane Irma, we sent out Psalm 23. And then Hurricane Irma hit, and together with everybody else in the state of Florida, we canceled church. And so we didn't get a chance to talk about it, and it kind of gave me two thoughts. So the first thought I had about that was, how awesome is it that God ordained that we be in that psalm of all psalms when that monster of a storm was bearing down on us, and it looked like we could get a four, maybe even a five? I mean, it was an unnerving week seeing that thing coming. And it was an even more unnerving storm for people west of us. We were spared in a lot of ways, for which I'm very thankful. But I thought it was awesome that God would have us in that passage of Scripture. I memorized that in like the third grade, man, and I have used it again and again and again and again in times when I needed to be reminded, hey, I'm not alone. I have a shepherd. So I commend that to you. But the second thought that I had was just as the communicator guy, there's absolutely no way I'm skipping Psalm 23. I mean, we might cancel church, but we're still going to talk about it because it is one of the most beloved Psalms in the entirety of the Bible without a doubt. But that left me with a little bit of a dilemma. So the dilemma was, well, we still have to choose a personal worship passage then for this week, even though I'm mostly going to still talk about Psalm 23. So what do I have everybody study this week? John chapter 10. It was an easy answer, and here's why. Because in John chapter 10, Jesus Christ, and you need to understand who he is. He is God and he is man. Fully God and fully man. Son of God and son of man. He is, as I've said probably a hundred times here, the invisible, incomprehensible, intangible God who through a supernatural conception in a real person took upon himself real flesh and blood like us and walked among us. 
okay, that Jesus standing on planet earth a thousand years after David wrote Psalm 23 said, hey guys, let me clear something up for you. You all love Psalm 23. Let me tell you who the shepherd is of whom David speaks. It's me. I'm him. Let me prove it to you. Jesus says this in John 10, beginning in verse 1. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now watch all of this because all of these images have to deal with sheep and shepherds. And follow the logic, it makes a lot of sense. He says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Well, of course, he's climbing over the wall. What does the shepherd do? He walks through the door. It's his, it's his door. It's his sheepfold. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So far, it makes sense until you continue to read, which we'll do in a moment. But as you continue to read in a moment, Jesus is going to start confusing us at least a little bit if we don't understand how sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds and all that stuff works because he steps forward and goes, and I'm the door and I'm the good shepherd. So you kind of want to put it to him and go, well, which is it? Like, are you the door? Are you the good shepherd? And Jesus' answer is yes, I'm both. And the reason for that is this. Back in the days of Jesus and back in the days of David, who was an actual shepherd, incidentally, before he became king, long before, shepherds would build sheepfolds. Now, why would they do that? They would do it to house their sheep from the perils of the darkness of night. Death destruction, all the kinds of things that Jesus is gesturing towards here, thieves, robbers, predators, and so forth. And they would create the sheepfold out of the rocks on the ground. Now, the reason for that is because there are rocks all over the ground over there, okay? Even today, in various places, you look and it goes, good grief, it looks like a rainstorm of rocks just hit the side of this hill. So if you bought a piece of land, you wanted to build a house, or you wanted to clear it and, and create a farm or a sheepfold, you had to clear it of all of the rocks. And what they did is they just took the rocks and they piled them up and they made the walls for the sheepfold and they would create in the sheepfold one way in and one way out and sometimes they would guard the one way in and one way out with a door with a gate but more often than not the shepherd would lead his sheep out in the morning he would lead them to lay down in green pastures and lead them beside quiet waters and all of that during the safety of the light of day but as the perils of darkness drew near he would bring them back in he would stand at that doorway and he would inspect them one by one and he'd get rid of all of the bugs and he'd get rid of all of the burrs and all the things that they picked up over the course of the day. If they, you know, hurt their legs or acquired some kind of an injury, he would bandage them up. He would doctor up their nose with various oils and things like that to keep the flies away and whatnot. And then he would admit them one after the other until they were all in there. And then as darkness fell, the shepherd himself would lay down in the, in, in the doorway. And with his own body he would become the door. In other words, he would become that which separated his sheep from destruction and death on the one hand and delivered unto his sheep at his own expense. Life, abundant, on the other. It's a remarkable picture of the gospel. You know, I mean, what is the gospel if not this idea that we individually and collectively are a ruined race? And look, you know, you can, can debate with that if you want, and you can argue with that, and you can deny that, but you'll need to explain things like police departments and armies and counselors and doctors and all of these other things. You'll need to explain the conflict in your own home, in your own office, in your own school, in your own life. You'll need to explain away how all of us are selfish and how all of us are self-centered, how all of us are idolatrous in a million different ways, how we all of us take our lives and live them for ourselves as opposed to the God who created us to live them for him and find the greatest joy in doing that. Look, we all of us have the disease. It's a contagious bug and it's got us all. 
But what is the gospel? It is that God who created us so loved a ruined people that in his love he sent Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, fully God, fully man, to come into this world as one of us, to rescue us, how? At the expense of his own life, he lays down his life to take the destruction and death that in truth we deserve so that he might freely from his hand give to us deliverance and life abundant and life eternal. It's magnificent. And all of this is encompassed in all of these imagery, all of these images. Jesus is the door, and he is also the good shepherd. And you say, well, then who are the sheep? Well, they're those of us who realize that we're ruined and that we need the door who is Jesus to take that death and destruction, that we might have life abundant and life eternal and beyond that, who realize that we need a shepherd. As you read through the Bible, again and again, what do you see? That sheep without a shepherd are to be pitied. It's not a good state. It's a bad one. We need to humble ourselves and come to this Lord who loves us enough to lay his life down and who has a wisdom that we do not have and to say, you know what, Lord, I not only need to be forgiven, I need to be led, I need to be guided, I need to be you know, provided for, I need to be protected, I need all of the things that only you as a good shepherd can bring. Here's what good, shep- good sheep know. Sheep know the shepherd's voice, and they follow it. And one of the things that they used to do back in Jesus' day and in David's day too, the shepherds would get together, and instead of each creating their own sheepfold, they'd just work on one together. Build a big one. Easier, many hands. And then at night, they would bring all of their different flocks into one big sheepfold. And they didn't have little containers, you know, you're in like compartment A and you're in B and you're in C. And they didn't do that. They just let them all file in. And you say, well, how do they keep them separate? They didn't. And they didn't have to. Why? Because every morning, the shepherds would go out in front of the sheepfold and they would call their unique call. And what would happen? Only their sheep would get up and go out to follow just their shepherd. It makes sense of what Jesus says. He says in verse 3 that his sheep hear his voice, and he calls his what? His own sheep were his possession by name. And he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice, and they trust his voice. And in fact, they trust it so much that they follow him, even when he takes them through the path that leads through the valley of the shadow of death. And so Jesus says in verse 9, and here it is, I am the door, that is to say, I'm the one who lays down my life to separate my sheep from destruction and death and to deliver unto them safety and life. And then he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved from destruction and death and he will go in and out and find eternally green pasture. The thief, he says, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they, my sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. There is his offer to you. I am the good shepherd, he says. And here's what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so then who is Jesus? He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the one who's saying, hey, Psalm 23, that's me. And what David's doing in Psalm 23 is he's coming to us and going, and here's what you can expect as a sheep of the shepherd who is Jesus. So David says this, he says a psalm of David, and then beginning in verse 1, he says, the Lord is what? Because I think it's a really cool word. It's a word of possession. It's unique to every single one of us who can claim Christ as his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is not the shepherd of some humongous herd of sheep of which I am just a nameless, faceless part. It's not it. 
He calls his own by name, Jesus says. The Lord is mine, and I am his is the idea. One of the realities of the fact that God is infinite, one of the benefits for us is the fact that, you know, we don't have to stand in line to wait for God's attention. We don't have to jump up and down amidst all the sheep and go, hey, what about me over here? I have a question. I have a need. I have a, you know what? Because God is infinite, he can devote 100% of himself, 100% of the time to each one of us without diminishing his focus on anybody else. It's remarkable. The whole of God is mine. And the whole of me is his. The Lord is my shepherd. And then here's the inevitable conclusion. I shall not want. And since I know what you want to say, I'm just going to say it, okay? You want to say, really? I shall not want? This is kind of a poor week to roll that one out, don't you think? Because I don't know about you, but I want air conditioning. I mean, you have no idea. Maybe you do have some idea how badly I want air conditioning, but I want air conditioning. I, I want to stop walking into the bathroom and hitting the light switch. I just feel stupid now every time I do that. Like there is nothing in the last eight days or whatever that has proven to me that that's going to make a difference, okay? But I want it to make a difference. I really do. I want to stop cooking in 93 degree heat when it feels like, because you can check the weather app, like 103 degree heat over a propane gas grill in the sun. Like, I'm done with that. I want to take a hot shower. I want to blow dry my hair. I want to send my kids back to school because I want to kill them. <laughs> and they want to kill me. And it's probably fair in both directions. It's a lot of things I want. All right, if you're really thinking, then maybe you're thinking about people who are in actual want. People in the Keys and the islands on the other side of Florida people all over the world, many of which, by the way, who because Jesus is their shepherd, find themselves in want, want of food, want of water, want of safety. So like, what do you do with that? I mean, David, what is your word to them, us? The word is the same. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's the result. I shall not want. So what is he talking about? Well, I think he's saying at least two things. I think one, he's saying, look, you shall not want for forever. You shall not. I mean, the reality is we live in an upside down world in which the wicked are often full and the righteous are often empty. It's not right, is it? And yet the Bible comes to us again and again and again and says, take your tiny little lifespan, which sounds like a lot to you. I know it feels like a lot because it's all we've ever known and lay it down next to the continuum of eternity and then realize that for all of eternity, all that is upside down now will be made right side up to the glory of God and the glory of God in that moment will be so great and so far greatly appreciated because you've lived in an upside down world that you'll actually be thankful that that's the world you once lived in. It's a remarkable thought. But beyond that, I think he's coming to us and saying, let me tell you something about your good shepherd. So your good shepherd became like you. Talk about emptying himself. He walked among us. He had no place to lay his head. He knows what it means to hunger and to thirst. Even from the cross, he cries out, I thirst. As he is deprived, not just of food and drink and housing and air conditioning, which didn't even exist, and all of these other things, but as he's deprived of his life, out of love for us. 
He understands deprivation. He sympathizes with all of us in every single one of our weaknesses. And beyond that, our good shepherd invites us to walk with him through life and to learn that having him is to have everything. And that even when you're hungry, if you will, if you have Jesus, you're full. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he does not lie. He says, I shall not want. And he makes me to come out of a sheepfold in the morning with him. That's the imagery going on here. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. And here's what we know about sheep. We know that sheep will not lie down if they're hungry, if they're stressed, or if they're fearful. They won't do it. But we also know that sheep need to lie down. Sheep need rest. If you drive a herd of sheep hard for even one day, they start dropping dead left and right. That's it. That's like their max. So then what does all of this imply? It implies that in our good shepherd is found what? Is found fullness, is found peace, is, is found protection, is, is found rest. And that's true, incidentally, even in the midst of weeks like the ones that we've been enduring, which seem to me at least to be intentionally designed to deprive us of all of those things. But maybe if you think about it differently, in the hand of our good shepherd, maybe it's been intentionally designed to teach us this reality and to drive us to find in Christ you know, the kind of peace, the kind of rest, the kind of protection, the kind of fullness that only he can bring. And so David says, having led me out of his sheepfold, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And not only that, but he leads me beside still waters. Why still waters as opposed to running waters? Because if a sheep walks down into moving water, it could get carried away. This is safe. This is cool. This is peaceful. He restores my soul. It means He brings life and vitality to the very core of who I am as a person, which then begins to emanate out in my words and my actions and my attitudes and in everything else. And more than that, He says He leads me in the paths of righteousness, which means literally He leads me in the paths that are right for me. And I want you to think about that because we don't always agree on His paths, do we? We think we know the path that's right for us in life and here's how it ought to go and here's how we want it to go and here's where all of our efforts go and when it doesn't, we resent that. We all do that. And God's over here going, hey, you know, I made you. I gifted you. I created you for a purpose, for a mission. I have a path for you. And if you'll just humble yourself and submit to it, you'll find it's the right path for you. It is the most joyful path. It is the most peaceful path. The word path here carries with it a word picture, an image. So the roads of the ancient world were dirt roads, okay? It was like, you know, Alabama or how I imagine it. I don't know. But really, and so when it rains, what happens to a dirt road? It gets muddy. And then as it begins to dry, the mud kind of begins to harden. And then as carts in those days would go down those roads, they would cut grooves or ruts into the road, which would then harden into really hard, settled ruts. So then if you were coming down after it's dried out and you're riding in your cart, you ride in the ruts, don't you? Everybody does. It's the easiest path. And everybody follows the same path. How does the Lord make us lie down in green pastures? How does He lead us beside quiet waters? How does He restore our soul? How does He lead us in the paths that are right for us? How has He always done it? Through the same means of grace that have been available since the beginning of the church, if you will. He does it through prayer. He does it through personal worship. He does it through corporate worship like this. He does it through the sacraments that we've seen in baptism and that we'll experience here in a moment. 
in communion. He does it as we take up the gifts and abilities that God himself has ordained that we use, and we use them in love and selflessness to serve one another and to serve our neighbor. And he does it even through difficult times, through massively disruptive events in our lives like hurricanes or like cancer or like divorce or like failure that humble us and drive us to put our trust in the one who alone in the end can be trusted. That's how Jesus leads and restores us. But I want you to notice why he does it because David tells us that too. He does it for his own namesake. That is a very cool statement. What David is saying there is, listen, the name of Almighty God, the name of Almighty Christ is attached to just how well He shepherds you. It's attached to how many of His promises, and He'll keep them all as a result. He keeps in regard to you. How He leads you, how He guides you, how He protects you. Does He make you lie down in green pastures? Will He lead you beside quiet waters? Does He restore your soul? All of these things are wrapped up and captured in the name of God Himself. God will not allow His name to be defamed, and therefore, you can rest assured that your good shepherd will in fact be a good shepherd for you, and He will remain faithful to you and to his own name, even in the darkness and fear and sorrow of death. For David continues, and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is a fascinating thought because Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, has walked that valley already. And having gone all the way through it and emerged from it in resurrection, he comes back to us, and what is his word? It's fear not. Don't be afraid. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But why? Because you are with me, your rod by which you will beat back the fury and the terrors of death, and your staff by which you lead and guide your sheep and has a hook on the end, so by which you grab your sheep and bring them back to you and they go off track. Okay, they comfort me and they comfort me in a way that nothing and no one else can. Because as you think about the valley of the shadow of death, at some point you leave everyone behind except Jesus. He alone takes you all the way through it. He continues and says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And that may be a reference to a literal table, but I think it's a reference to a plateau, to a flat piece of ground cultivated by the shepherd for the sheep. Shepherds go into those pieces of ground. They, they get down on their hands and knees. We know this. They pull out all of the poisonous plants that the sheep would otherwise eat. They rid them of that. They make sure that it's not overgrazed, that it's luscious, that it's full, that it's beneficial to the sheep. And then they bring the sheep up onto the plateau and that's the table that's prepared before them. And they're able to eat it freely and to lie down and to do all these other things. Why? even in the presence of their enemies, the wolf, the bear, who knows? Because the enemies, all they can do is look on helplessly as a result of the presence of the shepherd. The shepherd utterly neutralizes the enemies as the idea. You anoint my head with oil, which in ancient times was medicinal, it was healing. My cup, which speaks of joy, overflows. And then what is my end? It says, surely goodness and mercy, and this is powerful, shall follow me. Now, what it means is shall pursue me. It's not like you hitch it up behind you like a trailer and you pull it along. It's chasing after you all of the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So with all that in mind, I'm going to ask you two questions and then I'm done. Question number one, pretty simple really, at least conceptually, are you one of his sheep? Have you realized that maybe it's a strong word or it feels that way, that you're ruined? That you've got the bug, the virus? That there's no cure but Christ? That he is the door who has taken death and destruction on the cross. He's laid down his life that you might have at his payment, at his expense, life that is abundant and eternal. And then beyond that, have you submitted yourself to his shepherding authority? Because he owns the sheep, calls you by name. He leads and guides and sheep without a shepherd are most to be pitied. Give yourself to him. Let him lead you by his greater vision. Sheep, by the way, are notoriously bad-sided. I think, I think that we are too. For then at the end of your days, having faithfully and obediently followed him through all manner of terrain, green pastures, quiet waters, valley of the shadow of death, he will welcome you into his sheepfold. He'll get rid of the bugs. He'll heal all of the afflictions. And he'll bring you in. So are you one of his sheep? And then secondly, if you are one of his sheep, are you following him? Or have you wandered away from the good shepherd? Because if that's the case, then here's the remedy. It's just to come back. And this may be the way that the shepherd has chased you down. Jesus says in Luke chapter 15 that he's the good shepherd who does what? What does the good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And here's how oftentimes he does it. Through a message like this or through a table like this. Where he says, hey, I'm right here. Come back and let me forgive you. Let me restore you and let me lead you. Because I have green pastures in mind for you. I've got quiet waters that you don't know about, but that I know where they're at. I can restore life and vitality to you in a way that nothing and no one else can. I will lead you in the path that is right for you. So there's his offer, and you think about that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our Savior. We thank you that you have not left a ruined race to ourselves, but God, you entered into our ruin and made our misery your own, that we might know your joy. And so then, Lord, I pray that you would humble us, that you would call us to yourself, that you would uh, give us the humility necessary to confess that, in fact, we need the forgiveness found only in Christ and beyond that, that we need a shepherd to lead us and that he alone is qualified to do that. We thank you for the table that is before us, and we pray, Lord, that we might receive it joyfully, having laid aside all of our guilt, given it to Jesus, and received his grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.